again, everybody, and welcome back to What's Important Now, the podcast from the United States Border Patrol Academy. So as law enforcement professionals, from the moment we step off the bus to our academies and to the moment we hang up our uniforms, training is a huge part of who we are and what we do. Some of the training is used all the time. Some of the training seems almost fantastical in that uh, it's far-fetched. It seems like, and we'll never need this until we do. And it may only be one time in our career where we need it. And when that moment comes, we're glad that for years we have been training. There's no better example of this than the life and death situations that a law enforcement officer can find themselves in. And it's not like something you see on a movie or on TV. It affects us. Not just physically, psychologically, emotionally. It affects those around us. It affects our, our families. And the recovery is a long and arduous process. I have with me today Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff Claudia Apolinar. And if you don't recognize that name, Deputy Apolinar and her partner were ambushed while sitting in their vehicle by a lone gunman and were shot multiple times. Six oh two Frank Jeff Topic. Six oh two Frank only your topic. Six oh two Frank, I can't copy you. GSB and it's 602 Frank is advising in 998 Compton Tax. You have a unit to respond in three or less. Four. Ten four. Copy 998. Deputy shot. 902 are going to be responding. Do I have a family unit responding to Compton? Nothing Compton. Compton, you are now passing with CSB. There's a 998 at Compton Pass. We have a deputy down shot in the head. We'll have to respond to Leave out the top. We have 607 Frank regarding from the law. I have Century also passed in. Century, you're passing with CSB and Compton. There's a 998 at Compton Pass. We have a deputy down. And 600 Camden from your responding. Nine oh two R is being notified. Air on the frequency. Sam's off the rolling from Irwindale. Sam, you're responding from Irwindale. 
And copy 287, you're also responding, and 658, Frank. Daryl in five minutes. Good job, David. One, I kept you also responding, sir. said that was a cowardly act. Uh, the two deputies were doing their job, minding their own business, uh, watching out for the safety of the people on the train and seeing somebody just walk up and just start shooting on them. It, it's, uh, it pisses me off. They're both suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. Uh, they're out of surgery right now, so we're gonna keep them in our thoughts and prayers. One is a 31-year-old mother of a, of a six-year-old boy her uh, husband is here with them the other one is a 24 year old both of them live to tell the tale and today deputy polinar has taken time out of her schedule to travel down to the u.s border patrol academy and visit with us talk to our trainees about what it takes to survive a harrowing experience like that claudia thanks for being here Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. We're glad you're here. We're glad you took the time. Hopefully no trouble with the flights getting down here. <laughs> no, luckily no, none of the flights <laughs> were canceled, so hopefully we'll see when I get back. <laughs> so I want to introduce you to everybody. I want to tell them a little bit about your journey to get to being a deputy sheriff. So you graduated from the Los Angeles County Academy, class 437, on July 12th of 2019. Your initial assignment was the Central Region Detention Facility. You only spent six months there before getting patrol, which I understand is a, is a big deal. Yes. That's a, that's a relatively short period of time. Yes, compared to how it used to be back in the day where it was like six, seven years before you went out. And then so you were assigned to the Transit Bureau. And for those that don't know, now the Transit Bureau in Los Angeles County, they deal with all the metro buses, the railways, and the stations. So you actually cover pretty much the entire county. Yes, correct. So that was a good assignment for you. Yes. Pretty excited yes. to get it. One day I was by Santa Monica by the beach. The next day I could be in Compton, Centuries area. Um, it's just you could be anywhere in the county, which is pretty nice because you get to experience a lot more than just being in a station where you're just um, in that station patrolling the, the area where you're supposed to be at. So at least here you're able to – you have more um, – Freedom to mm -hmm. go pretty much throughout the whole county. That sounds like a pretty sought-after position. That's that's pretty lucky, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't just start there, though. You actually, when you graduated high school in 2006, you started working for the county of Los Angeles, and your first job was with the county libraries. And 
Did you know at that point you wanted to get into law enforcement? I did, but I was still going to school, so there I was part-time, so I had a little bit more flexibility with the schedule with my classes, so I'm like, as long as I'm done with school first, get my degree, then once I'm ready, then I'll apply for, for law enforcement. Okay. And then you took, you know, a route that many of us take in July of 2016, you actually joined the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department as a security assistant, ultimately becoming a security officer. Now, how does that differ from being a sheriff's deputy? Uh, the security assistant, they're usually just at courts. Um, they're not armed. It's a white white shirt with the green pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just doing security for uh, anyone coming into the court. The security officer, basically kind of the same thing, but I was armed. I had my gun bow. Um, pretty much everything that a deputy sheriff has, just no authority to arrest or do anything, like pretty much nothing, like but security. But that was, that was your foot in the door to get yes. into law enforcement. Um, that gave me a lot of experience. I was assigned to Martin Luther King Hospital, and there working alongside with deputies, I had the experience of doing some of the stuff that deputy sheriffs actually do, uh, writing along with them, doing the uh, working on the computers, how to work the computers, so by the time I finally went to the academy, that was like a huge, like it helped out a lot. That's an all too common tale. Most people don't realize that it's tough to break into law enforcement, especially if you have one specific area in mind. If you're not willing to, to move or travel around, sometimes it takes getting your foot in the door, working your way up to ultimately getting to be a law enforcement professional. It's not something that you just typically apply for, you get accepted and, and you start your career. Yes. Very Correct, typical yes. tale. And then, in fact, you, you went to the academy in, uh, was, it, uh, was it January of 2018, and you were going through the academy, were injured, had to restart, go back through again once you healed, and then graduated. Yes. Now, that, too, especially for us, has been an all-too-common tale because our training is not just in the classroom. We're out there doing very physical activity, and, and injuries occur. I'm assuming that's the same for uh, Los Angeles County as well. Yes, most of the, when we're going through the academy, most of the people that get separated are due to injuries. And I was like halfway through the academy when I got injured. And unfortunately, I couldn't do the PT. I couldn't run. It was, the pain was really bad where I couldn't really do anything. And I had to be separated. But I took the time to heal because I'm like, this is what I want. And that's not going to stop me. So your resiliency was shining through even back then. Yes. But, uh, I mean, if you want something bad enough, you persevere, you get it. Yes. And I, I think that's an important thing for anybody that's getting into law enforcement to hear because injuries happen, setbacks happen, but you stay the course, you keep trying until you achieve your goal. So right there, uh, anybody that's watching would have seen you had that mindset from the beginning, and that ultimately helped you in this event that we're about to talk about. So let me take everybody through kind of the official version before Claudia talks to us about it to remind everybody what had happened. So on September 12th of 2020, Deputy Polinar was with her partner in a patrol vehicle at the Martin Luther King Transit Center in Compton. And they just completed their routine patrol when a lone gunman approached and fired several shots into their vehicle. Several rounds struck both deputies. They were hit in the head, torso, arms. Deputy Polinar was severely wounded, including a wound to her face. Despite being severely injured, she was able to communicate via her service radio, directed back up to the location, indicated that the suspect had fled the scene, and then turned her attention to her partner. She got out of the vehicle. They both took cover. Her partner had also been struck in the arm and head, but she was still able to render aid 
despite her own severe injuries. And together they maintained a strategic position until backup arrived. Now I want you to think about that for a second. You're there in your vehicle doing your job and out of the blue somebody comes up and opens fire. You're hit several times and you still have the wherewithal, you still have your senses about you, the situational awareness to do what you needed to do to survive, get help on the way and take care of your partner. And I want you to think about how many people in the world would be able to do that because I'm sitting across from somebody who can, who did. And I want you to hear from her, in her own words, what that day was like. So Claudia, if you don't mind, take us through that day and how it happened for you. Of course. So that day I was working, I started off um, at six in the morning. I actually picked up overtime for the day shift. My regular shift was on PMs from two to seven, two to 11 p.m. Uh, so for the day shift, I was by Santa Monica, there at the beach, um, patrolling the beach area. And then once it was time for my second shift, went back to the station to pick up my partner who was about to start his shift. Uh, we had only been there, we're actually both from the same class from 437. Uh, he came out to patrol about a month before I did. He was training at Temple. I trained at San Dimas Station, and we both got to TSB in August. Uh, the first month, we were pretty much all over the place. We didn't have an exact spot that we had to patrol until the month of September. That's when we were both assigned to the same unit, and we were in charge of the Compton packs, the Delamo packs, and Artesia packs. So during a certain time, we had to be at a certain packs for that amount of time. And what, is, what does that stand for? The packs are the train stations. Okay. That's where, um, that's what they call the platforms. Okay. Uh, so during a certain time we had to be at whatever packs um, it said for that time. Uh, it was our second week that we had just started um, working those three uh, stations. Um, and then that day, so picked them up, it was just like any other day that the time that we had been there. So we went to our first uh, train station, did our patrol check, and around like 4, 4.30 p.m., I'm like, oh, let's get something to eat right now. Right now that's not too busy. So right next to where this happened, there's a parking structure, and that's where usually we had where we would have lunch, uh, go all the way to the very top, eat our lunch. And I just remember telling like, oh, I have to use the restroom, so we'll go down check the area and then we'll take off to the next one to the next tra uh, train station so i park right where i was parked um so i because i mean there we're pretty much out in the open so it's kind of hard to position your vehicle where you're you have a little bit more cover uh so i park there get off use the restroom come back and then i just remember telling him telling him oh we'll just we'll take off like i think we had like 30 more minutes to go that we had to be there before we had to move on and I just remember, like, there was a taxi in front, like, on the street. So I'm like, oh, I'll just wait for the taxi to move so I could just jump the curb and then take off from there instead of going around through the little streets because the little streets there, they're really narrow, and it's, like, a little bit more, like, officer safety stuff that I was worried about, like, going through the streets. So we never made it from there. Um, a little bit before 7, I was a driver. My partner was in the passenger seat. And I never saw the suspect where he came from, never saw where he ran, nothing. So 
All I remember sitting there and I just remember hearing the gunshots and all of a sudden, like, I felt, I've never been in a fight, so I would imagine it would feel like getting punched in the face. And it's like, it was, everything was black for a moment. And I just remember thinking, this is really happening. Like, what they tell us in the academy, it's, it's happening. It's like now. So I just remember, like, I kind of snapped out of it, like, right away. I felt my face, this, this part was, like, really warm. My arms felt warm. I looked down. I had a long sleeve. Um, my, my shirt was a long sleeve shirt. And I just remember seeing the holes on my shirt. Um, I remember going for the E-trigger. It's the little button uh, that we have on our radios. In case we can't put out radio traffic, that way it'll alert our, um, our dispatchers that something's going on. So I remember going for that because I didn't know what was going to happen. But all I could think of was my son. I'm like, I have a six-year-old at the time he was six at home who still needs his mom. And I'm like, I'm not going to die today. Like, not today. So I remember trying to put out radio traffic. And right away, I'm like, I couldn't. I couldn't talk. So it turned out my tongue was cut in half. Uh, one of the rounds went in on my through my right cheek, right behind my teeth. So I missed all of my teeth. I didn't None of them were knocked out, so I was surprised. So went in through the right side, cut my tongue in half, and came out on the left side. And on the left, it did knock out some of the, um, it shattered some of the bones. So I'm trying to put out radio traffic as calm as I could, like just get what we need, get the help that we need. And I got really frustrated because like the dispatcher was like, she kept on saying like 10-9, like repeat, repeat, like I can't understand you. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I have to remain calm because it's like if I start panicking, then they're not going to understand what I'm trying to say. And I just remember, too, like, at the same time, like, my partner, he's like, Apollinar, I got shot in the head. So I'm like, damn, like, like, it's both of us. It's not just me. It's both of us. And I turn, I look at him. His face is completely covered in blood. And from there, we both step out of the vehicle. He goes around. And I'm still trying to put out radio traffic to get help. And it's just like so much, so much things going on at the same time. And it's like everything that they tell you, like you have to look for cover. You have to be aware of your surroundings, like the tunnel vision that they tell you. For some reason, like I was aware of everything. Like I remember seeing a group of 15 to 20 people just south of us and with their phones recording, um, recording, saying like a whole bunch of stuff, yeah. like. And there's video on, on there. I saw the video later on. Disgusting video. Yes. So I had that going on because I'm like, I don't know where the shooter is at. I don't know if he's going to come back. Like, you, you don't know. So my partner comes around. We both go behind cover. He took out his tourniquet, and he's trying to put it on. So he got hit uh, once in the bicep, the elbow, his hand, and then once in the head. It went, like, right in between his um, the skin and the skull. And he came out, and I just, like, he's trying to put on the tourniquet, and he's not able to. So that's when I go, and I'm, like, I, I help him put it on. So what they tell us, what I remember, it's, like, if you don't know where you've been hit, just go up as high as you can. And hopefully that will stop the, the bleeding. In that moment, you remembered that? Yes. I'm, like, I didn't know because, like I said, his, his arm was completely covered in blood. I didn't know where he was hit. So I'm just going to go up as high as I could, put it as tight as possible, when I'm putting it on, I remember feeling like I'm able to move my arms, my hands are good, but I don't have the strength. 
that I did. So I'm like, okay, I, I got hit in the arms, like in both arms. And at the time, it's like, I didn't know if it was blood. Like, I thought it was a blood from my face, from my mouth um, that was coming out. But then when I saw the holes in both arms, I'm like, okay, I got hit in both arms. So I didn't feel no pain at all. Like, the adrenaline just kicked in. Nothing hurt. Like, I couldn't. This just felt numb. I could taste the blood. I could, like, me swallowing the blood. Um, my arms just feeling weak. And like I said, I put on the tourniquet as best as I could. And then when I'm doing that, like, he's still trying, he's trying to put out radio traffic, but it turned out he got a, a bullet hit his radio. So he wasn't able to, it wasn't working because he was like pr trying to press it and nothing came out. So yours was the only radio working? Mine was the only radio working. So when I'm putting on the tourniquet, I gave him my radio and that's when he puts out clear traffic. Um, what seemed like an eternity, it seemed like we were there for like 30 minutes, like time just completely slowed down. Was actually like two, like a little bit less than like two minutes before Compton Station showed up. Uh, and that's when, um, so I believe it was like the dispatchers from our station from TSB that they zoomed in on the cameras because they have access to the cameras. And that's where they saw what was happening. And they alerted the, the other station so they can go, um, go and, go and help us so as soon as we hear the sirens we see the lights it's like we're gonna be good like we're gonna be good so we both once we get there we both get up from where we were at we walk towards their vehicle and then i remember the entire ride to the hospital we go in the back seat we both go in the same car and i just remember everything like the vehicles the others um every vehicle was blocking an intersection so we can just go straight to the hospital complete a straight route to the hospital we get there we get off um like, we're both alert the entire time. We never passed out or anything. I remember being at the hospital, and it's like, I'm still trying to help the, the nurses and the doctors take off my gear. I'm like, so they don't rip it? I'm thinking about my gear. I'm like, don't rip my gear. So they ended up ripping my, my uniform. But, um, but yeah, it's like, it wasn't until they put me to sleep. And the next day, that's when they had, like, an emergency surgery where, um, for my face, I didn't really, they didn't really do anything, like, just kind of let the bones heal on its own, and then they stitch my tongue back together. So I want to go back a second because, I mean, that's an incredible, incredible story. And two human beings doing their job, normal day at work. You were talking about food and needing to go to the restroom and just moving on mm -hmm. to your next assignment, and this happened out of the blue. And that, that moment when the – and this wasn't just one round that was fired. This was multiple rounds. You both were hit multiple times and what you're describing is a little bit disorienting I mean you, you, you knew enough to knew something bad had happened mm -hmm. and you, you could kind of gauge that you had been shot but to piece together that your partner had been shot that took a little bit of time and you said that everything kind of slowed down so it felt like an eternity in your world when this was going on but in actuality it was just a couple minutes yes and so that's that hypersensitivity you said you were aware of everything around you. So you, you knew about the, the individuals near you that were filming. I watched that video too. Sorry excuse for a human being that would be uh, celebrating or taking joy in anybody going through something like that. The, uh, and then you finally got called for backup. And what kind of struck me when you said that was you were having trouble talking and you had the wherewithal to hand your only functioning radio to your partner who could talk. And it was kind of a team effort to actually get to get help on the way. I don't know if you, but that was a, you know, a true partnership taking place there. And, and, uh, 
And then when you heard the sirens, I can, I can only imagine a tremendous sense of relief that must have been to know that, you know, your brothers and sisters were, were almost there. Yes. Right. So that's what everybody saw. That's what everybody got to, to know. And nowadays, I think a lot of folks are so desensitized because of what is on TV and what they see in movies. And you and I were talking about it earlier. It's, you're used to seeing the, the hero in a movie get shot in the shoulder, and yet they're still able to, to heal in a day or two and, and, and still able to do their job. Not true. Not true at all. You actually have undergone and are still undergoing uh, the recovery process. Talk a little bit about your injuries and what you've had to, to go through and what you've had to heal uh, thus far. You're not even back to full duty yet. No. And how long has it been since this took place? A little over a year. A little over a year, and you are still not back to full duty. What were some of the injuries that, uh, that you sustained? So I got hit, um, like I said, on the face. It went in through the right cheek, right behind my teeth. It cut my tongue in half. So my tongue was hanging, and I felt it. Like, I still remember that feeling of my tongue just, like, flapping around. Like, it just felt weird. And then it came out on the left side, like, by the jawbone. The jawbone on the left side was completely shattered, um, a whole bunch of little pieces, like, destroyed. And I got hit in both arms. So one round went through both arms, uh, breaking the, the ona bone in each arm. Uh, once I got to the hospital, the next day when I woke up and I finally spoke to the doctor, uh, so they didn't, I don't have any metal plates anywhere on my body. Um, they just kind of put the, the bones, like kind of did a little bridge for the bones to heal on their own. And they're still healing. That's why it's like it's just taking a little bit longer. Um, my tongue was stitched back together. That actually healed pretty fast. My mouth was wired for about two months. So completely wired just to let the bones heal. Uh, I think that was actually pretty hard because I had to be on a liquid diet for two months. <laughs> so, I mean, it was good. That'd be tough bad. for me. Yeah. I mean, the, the good thing that I saw in it was that I actually lost a little bit of weight. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it was hard. I think that was really hard just not being able to talk. Um, at nighttime, after the first month, the second month was uh, I was just in so much pain at nighttime. I was afraid of going to sleep because I knew it was coming. So at nighttime after, like I said, the first month was fine. But the second month, I was having muzzle spasms on the left side. And that pain just traveled up into, like, my ear. And it was really, really painful. Like, I couldn't take it. Like, there was days where I would cry because it's like, I don't want to go to sleep. Like, it's going to hurt. Like, it, it was just really bad. And my arms, I had a cast in each arm for also about two months. And then I had a brace for about another month. And that pretty much, the doctor just put them back in place and just let them heal on their own. Uh, luckily, I don't have any nerve damage. So my arms are fine, but it's I don't have the strength yet. So I'm still going to physical therapy for my arms just to get my strength back. Uh, for the face, I just started a treatment with the Invisalign because after they took out the wires, my bite was off. And it's like I'm not able to open my mouth as much. So it's like probably like about two inches that I could open. And it's just getting used to, I mean, like what, like the eating, like a burger, I can't, it's hard for me to eat. I had to buy like in little pieces so I could actually like bite it. So it's, it's pretty hard, but it's for what it was. Like, I'm not complaining. Like sure. I'm here. I'm almost back to normal. 
Um, another thing that will be permanent, so my lower lip and my chin, they're completely numb. I don't have any feeling. And that's forever. That's forever. So that's from my tongue being, um, for, from it being, uh, it severed one of the nerves leading up to the, to the feeling that you get here. Uh, which I'm okay with too. I'm like, I don't, I'm not complaining. Like the only thing that is like, I'm, whenever I eat or drink, I'm constantly going like this because I can't feel. So there's times where, where I'm eating or drinking and it's like, I'll have food here. But other than that, it's like, I'm thankful to God. And I mean, you have a very positive outlook despite what happened to you. That's and that comes through talking to you. What about your partner? How's he doing? He's doing good. Um, like with his recovery, it, his arm, like he's having a little bit more issues with his arm where he will need more surgeries for the elbow and his hand. Um, to He does have a plate, I believe, in his hand and the elbow. So he will need a couple more surgeries to see hopefully if that helps with his, um, his movement with his hand. Uh, that's where he's having a little bit more issues with. But hopefully, I mean, he's doing a lot better too. Yeah. Good. And, and again, a year later, still, yes. still going through it. And that's, again, that's, I think we need to drive that point home because, number one, law enforcement is a dangerous profession, despite what some people would want to say. And it only takes one time and the, when these bad things happen and the impact on our lives, on the lives of our family, and we're going to talk about that in a second, is profound. It's not something that you see on TV. It's not something that you see on the movies. And what you just described, this recovery process, that goes unseen as well. Once it leaves the news uh, outlets and that initial event is gone in everybody's mind, they don't think about all this that uh, a person has to go through mm -hmm. that's been through an ordeal like that. Now, I want to transition. You have a six-year-old son and your family. Talk about what this was like for him. Matter of fact, let's. how did your son find out that this happened to you? Well, actually, we never told him what happened. Um... I mean, like, he knew I, I was in the hospital for eight days, eight, nine days. So he knew, like, something had happened but didn't know what. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's still pretty young, so I didn't want I didn't want him to tell him the truth, like, what had happened. Uh, so we basically told him, like, I got injured. It was a training accident. I was running, and I broke my jaw and my arms. Because um, it's like, the way I saw it, it's like, he's too young to understand I mean, he probably could, but I don't want him to, once I have to go back to work, for him to be worrying every single day that I go back. It's like, is my mom going to come home today? So okay. that's something where it's like, I don't want him to go through that. Once he's old enough, a little bit older, then I'll, most likely, like, we will tell him what happened. And that's a mom taking care of her son. I mean, that's a, and I think that's a very fair, fair position. Uh, it, and I think I might do the same thing if I were in your place. What about your uh, your other family, your your parents, and how did they find out? They didn't tell them. They just said I was in an accident. It wasn't until they got to the hospital where they actually found out, like, what had happened. And they told him, like, she's fine, but this is what happened. I think it was harder for my dad. My mom's a little bit stronger, and then my husband, too. Like, they were fine, but it was my, my dad that took it the hardest. I'm thankful for them because they were there throughout the entire time, like, after, like, in the beginning, you have all these people, like, oh, like, how are you? But then, like you said, all that, they start to forget. They start to forget, and, like, the last ones there, it's your family, mm -hmm. and they're always going to be there. So, I mean, like, I couldn't I couldn't shower. I couldn't do every, things that I would usually do on a daily basis. Um, they were always there. They're the ones that did everything for me those two months that I couldn't do anything. And that's that's one of the things that we try and talk to all of our, our trainees about is remembering 
who matters most in your mm-hmm. life. Having that that balance and knowing that uh, when you retire, when you leave this job, there's a core group that's going to be with you yes. for the rest of your life, and that's your family. Yes. And they have been the ones that have never left your side. Yes. And that I mean, that just if that doesn't put an exclamation point on just how important our families are mm-hmm. in what we do, and I can only imagine what it's like for them. I as you're talking about your dad and how he felt. You know, I'm a father myself. I'm a grandfather, and 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 I'm trying to think about something like that happening to one of my uh, my sons or my granddaughter, and and uh, no, I, I think he's probably justified in not not taking it very well because I don't think I would either, you know. And and again, I don't know that people give enough thought to the impact something like this has on our families mm-hmm. as well. And I and I want to point that out for for everybody here because we have to recognize the sacrifice that our family makes as we go out and do yes. this this job as well. So it sounds like they have been there for you and then some. I mean, with me, like, I've always wanted to do this job, like, since I was little, but my family comes first. And it's like, they're always going to be there, especially after this happened. It's like, they're the ones that are going to be there all the time. So how has the law enforcement community responded to you after in the, in the wake of this event? The support from not just law enforcement, but the community, but law enforcement, I mean, like, throughout the entire country. It's like all the support that we got, like... There was a caravan, I think, from from Utah of police officers that came from Utah, and they stopped at every, like, police station on their way to L.A. And, I mean, it was just, like, amazing to see all the support, not just here in the country, but, like, we actually, we got some letters from, like, uh, from Canada, from New Zealand, and it was just, like, it was just amazing, like, to see all of law enforcement come together. Um, I wasn't there at the at the command post when this happened, but I heard from different people saying, and, like, everyone just responded. Everyone went to, uh, to the command post to see what they needed help with. Uh, not just sheriff's departments, but, like, the surrounding agencies, LAPD, Redondo Beach, like, the smaller police agencies around there. Everyone went to, to see what they could help with, like, whatever it was. And it was just, I mean amazing to see all the support. So we talk about all the time how the law enforcement profession is a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Mm -hmm. We're all family because we all know what it's like to go out and do this job. And so you found that to be true. Yes. And so this is coming from somebody who has actually lived it and experienced it. This is more than just a job. This is a calling. And I'll, I'll let you, if you disagree, let me know. But I think that comes from the type of person that gets into a profession like this. Somebody that wants to serve a greater good, that wants to to help their, their fellow man or woman. They create that environment where a family like this exists, the law enforcement profession. What made you decide to get into law enforcement? What called you to this profession? Ever since I was little, I mean, just watching movies, um, I'm like, oh, that's, that looks cool. It looks fun. And I, like I said, once I went through college, I... Um, when I first went to college, I actually start my major was psychology, but I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> I'm like, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a nurse. I'm like, I don't want to do that stuff because I'm like, it's the same thing every single day. I'm like, I don't like that. It's like repetitive. So I took my first um, criminal justice class, and one of my my professor, he was a retired um, Alley County Sheriff deputy, and just hearing his stories like everything like his experience and not just like with the material from class but his own experience and stories that he had when he was out uh, on patrol I'm like that's that sounds cool like I want to do that but like at the same time like I knew I wanted to finish school first so I'm like no I'll finish school first and then that's when I'll start applying 
which I did. I applied like for the sheriff's department back in 2011, I believe. But I wasn't in shape, so I'm like, okay, I have to work on getting in shape. And then I came back, and that's when I finally did it. Um, but it was just something that I've always liked. Even now, it's like, even though this happened, I don't see it's like, I mean, it could happen to anyone. So I'm not going to be there like, oh, what if this happens again? It could. It could not. But I'm not going to. So early off in my career, I mean, I only have two years on now. I'm not going to just give up and walk away from it. It's like, I want to go back. I want to go back out to patrol because this is what I worked for. Um, I mean, it took me two academies to finish, but I want to go back. I miss it. And I want to give back to the community because it's like I wanted to work initially at East L.A. Station because that's where I grew up. And just to be able to protect those kids because it's like I have a my son now. It's like I would want my son to be safe as well as all the, the other hardworking people that live there um, in the community, the kids especially. So despite the fact that this happened, this has not deterred you at all. You still feel that calling and you still want to do this job. Yes. I mean, even like a month after it happened, I wanted to go back to work because I missed it. (laughs) And see, I want everybody to think about the type of person that it takes to, you can survive an ordeal like this and you go undaunted, undeterred, and you want to get right back out there to help your community to be there and make a better world for your for your child, your family. I don't think just anybody can do that. I think it takes a special type of person, and that's what you represent. You, you are the human side of this profession that I think a lot of times gets demonized or misconstrued. There are real people in these uniforms going out and doing these jobs for a reason, and that reason is very altruistic. They care about their community and those around them. You're an example of that. You can go through one of the most harrowing experiences. You can have a terrible individual do something evil to you. You can have people on the sideline laughing and joking and videoing about it. Yet I bet you you would still put your life on the line to keep them safe. And that's what you're doing right now, trying to get back to being on duty and going out there on patrol. And I'm assuming your partner feels the same way. Yes, definitely. It's like, because it's like I said, like so early on in our career, it's like, We've worked so hard going through the academy for five and a half months. And it's just something that I've always liked. And I don't see myself doing anything else but this. Now, in terms of the community, now we talked about the the one gunman and the 15 or 20 individuals that uh, making a mockery of the incident. Mm -hmm. Does that tarnish your image of the community? No, it doesn't because I know it's not. They don't represent the entire community. That's them. I mean, even at the hospital, too, there was people blocking the entrance to the hospital. Chant, uh, they were, like, chanting or screaming, like, let them die, let them die. And I know it's, like, that's them. There's always going to be people like that. Like, I don't pay attention to those kind of people. It doesn't represent It doesn't. It doesn't. And the community also during this, um, when this happened, like, the support from the community, like, it was just incredible. It's, like, there's so many people that came out to support us, like the letters from little kids. Like, I mean, it was just amazing. Um, At the hospital, there was people taking food to the deputies that were providing security. There was this one lady that, like, even after we left from the hospital, we we were discharged. This lady and her daughter were at the corner of the hospital with signs saying, uh, we support the blue, um, just in support. And it was just like, like I said, the, the support from the community was amazing. Like, so I know those group of people do not represent the entire community. And I don't think that got talked about very much. I mean, the, the, the support that you received, 
I think there are people that want to try and build this narrative that it is the community all, hates all law enforcement, and it, but that's not really true. No, no, I, they don't. They don't. I feel that same way. I think that our communities, by and large, do support us, and I think mm-hmm. those vocal few sometimes capture the spotlight, but I don't remember hearing anything about uh, that outpouring of support that you talked about. I don't think that uh, that got any kind of recognition at all. I don't think it did either, but okay. yes, it's like I said, it's I mean, all the stuff that I got, like, especially the letters from little kids, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's just amazing. Like, these little kids, like, drawing, drawing patrol cars or, like, it, it was just, like, I can't explain it, but it's just something, like, like you said, they didn't talk about that, but the community does support us, and they want us there. It's just a very few that that's where the media focuses on. That's what gets exposed, like, oh, we don't like the cops, but it's not like that. Well, and at the end of the day, we are part of those communities. Yes. You are a part of LA County. Yes. Those are that you grew up there, mm-hmm. that you have friends and family and loved ones that, that, that are a part of that community as well. So why wouldn't they? Yes. It just, uh, it kind of begs the question, why aren't the good things being covered? There, out of a tragic situation mm-hmm. like that, there was a lot of good that came out of the outpouring of support, the, the, the love from your brothers and sisters in law enforcement uh, to be there for you, your family, uh, how, how you've adapted, how you have persevered and overcome these injuries there is a ton of good to be taken from this tragic story seems like sometimes we ought to focus on that a little bit more than the the small bit of negative yes and that's why it's like with the recovery process and everything like that's what i look at and not the negative stuff like this happened but i mean what came from it was just so much more meaningful than than that for um I think that's what has helped me with the recovery because it's like I don't look at that like the situation like it happened. I think about it every single day. Like there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about it, but I don't let that affect me because it doesn't define who I am. So, I mean, the support and all that, that's what like motivates me um, and just trying to stay busy. Another thing, I mean, I was um, I talked with the psychologist from the department like I would talk to her every week, like, after this happened. And she even told me, she's like, you're fine. Like, you look for what it was, like, your attitude. Like, I'm like, well, I have to. I'm like, I can't be there sitting crying about what happened to me because it's like that's going to take over, and, and I don't want that to happen. It's like I still have, I have my little boy, and I don't want him to see me crying every day or feeling sorry for myself or scared, like, where I don't go out and just live my normal life. So I know this is another positive that came from this event that I'm going to talk about in a second, and that is you being the example for the need for training, for the right mindset when you're out there doing this job, for the importance of family, and the truth about the relationship between law enforcement and the communities we serve. I want to get to that in a second. But I I also understand that there is a suspect that was taken into custody. Yes. What can you tell us about him? Uh, I can't really go into much detail because uh, the case is still ongoing. Um, he was, they did catch him a couple of days after our incident. They were able to tie him to, to the shooting. Um, but other than that, like, I really haven't heard much. Um, the, the preliminary hearing hasn't started yet, I believe. So I don't really know what's going on with the case. Um, pretty sure if it goes to trial, then that's when I'll probably end up going to court. But right now I haven't been able to go to court. Um, and that's, pretty much it i mean i never i didn't know him i never came in contact with him 
while I was there. So it was just something, something random. And especially during that time when it happened, it was like all this hate towards the police and law enforcement. So well, we'll be watching with a keen interest to see how that unfolds yes. and hopefully justice is served. Hopefully. So let's talk about the aftermath and how you have put a positive spin on this uh, to an even greater degree. You have chosen to come out and talk about the importance of certain aspects of our training and how we are as law enforcement officers to survive a situation like this. It would be very easy for you to retreat in and not talk about it, and, and you would have every right to do so. But you, you've chosen to take a stand and speak and talk to trainees and other law enforcement professionals about your experience so that hopefully they can learn from it and maybe one day their lives will be saved as well. There was a couple key things that you talked about. So you said the training and how it kicked in. Now, I know you've been in for two years. That's, that's a relatively junior officer in, in the big scheme of things, but you handled it like a veteran. So talk a little bit about that training. I want to revisit that a little bit. And I know you had just gone through the academy not too long ago, but you said the training kicked in as soon as I needed it. So when instructors say that, that's a true statement. When you, if, you tra- if you practice enough, if you train enough, it will be there for you the one time you may need it in your career. Yes. When this happened, I had only been on for about a year and like 14, it was about 14 months before this happened. And I, I'm like, I don't have the experience that some of the, like some of these guys, like my, my training officers have, my um, other, other deputies, other law enforcement. So, I mean, I knew I needed to train, like whether continue going to training or any, like anything that would help. Um, the little train, well, the training that we got in the academy, five and a, five and a half months, uh, we go over like the tourniquets, but it's not something that you use all the time. It's like you do the training and that's pretty much it. It's just there on your belt. Hopefully you never have to use it. But I mean, when you do, hopefully you know how to use it, how to properly put it. And just remembering little um, like scenarios. We had a scenario for ambush. So what they tell us, it's like, okay, you, you get ambushed. You're being shot at. Um, first thing you need to do, if you could shoot back, shoot back. If not, look, run for cover and then put out radio traffic once you're safely behind cover. And that was going through your head as this happened? Everything was going through my head. I'm like, okay, like, I kind of felt like a scenario because when I did the scenarios where it's like, because we need that to pass to in order for us to graduate. And I remember, like, we have, like, steps. Like, when we would practice, like, okay, I need a, I need, if I could shoot back, I'll shoot back. Um, but if not, look for cover and then put out radio traffic and then be aware of your surroundings because they say, they talk about tunnel vision. Like, you're going to get tunnel vision when, Something happens, like, when you're in a life and death situation, even when you're not, like, you'll get tunnel vision, and that's all you focus on, and you forget everything else. You forget your training. But for whatever reason, that day, it's like, okay, like, my eyes, like, I just felt like were wide open, and it's like I could see everything, hear everything, taste everything. Like, all the all your senses were, like, they were just on high alert. Um I didn't feel any pain, the adrenaline, and I think that too, like, helped me, like, okay, I don't, I'm not focusing on the pain, I have other things to worry about, like, my partner, when I saw my partner, I'm like, that could be my son, so it's like, I have him, so it's like, all these things that they talk about, like, scenarios that, um, videos that they show us of officers getting shot, and it's like, they, I mean, it's just so many things going on, I don't know if I could explain it that well, but for whatever reason, like, it just kicked in. 
I don't think I could have said it any better. I mean, that, that's that's a perfect example of exactly what is taught probably at every law enforcement academy in the country. The training is important. There's a reason why we do it. And if you do it enough, it will be there when you need it. Mm-hmm. And you have just proven that theory to be true. The other thing is our state of mind, our mindset, that you do not give up no matter how bad you are injured, no matter what the situation is, you have to have it in your mind. I will survive this. And I heard you say that yes. as you were talking about it once. You never once thought that I'm going to die. No, never. I'm like, not today. I'm like, mm-hmm. not today. So that's, I think the mindset's really important when something like this, because it's like, if you're just there, it's like you're bleeding or I mean, whatever it is, or you hear gunshots and a lot of people just freeze. You have to have that mindset. Like, know that this could happen, but how are you going to react? Like, I mean, if they, they ask me like, what would you do if something like this happens? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I'm going to react until it happens. And I mean, for people to say like, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that. Like, it's like, yeah, like that would be nice. In like, theory. Yeah. In theory, it would be nice. But I mean, you really don't know how you're going to react until it actually happens. And that's what it, the mindset I think is really important, the will to survive. Because if you're just there and you give up, like that's when you die. And it's like, like, no, it's like I, I have something to live for someone and I'm not going to let that little kid like grow up without a mom. And I think it's important like for everyone, like any everyone, like to have something to look forward to going home to. Which dovetails into the importance of family in our lives when we go out and do a job like this yes. and keeping focus on that. I, you know, we get into these these types of, uh, of jobs it's very easy to be focused and energetic about it, almost to the exclusion of everything else because we're excited, we love what we do. And it's very easy to put those that are important kind of in the back seat. Mm -hmm. And what you just described to me is, in a moment when you needed it most, that which was most important to you rose to the top quick, and that got you through the incident. I I cannot think, I I couldn't have said it better. Couldn't have said it better, and you, you have become an example for how we should all be, why we should train, and why that mindset is so important, and the courage it has taken for you to survive this incident and to go through the recovery process to make the choice to uh, become an example and go out and talk to recruits and trainees so that they benefit from your experience. Uh, We're very humbled and we're very honored that you took the time to come out and and visit with us today, and and, uh, I am proud and honored to say that I am in a profession with somebody like you. You're the reason that many of us choose to get into a, uh, a profession like this because we want to be on a team with that caliber, caliber of individual. So thank you, Claudia, for yeah, everything that you did. Now, before we sign off, we have everybody listening. So I want to let you give a shout-out or any words that you want to give to the men and women that are out on patrol right now or the, the men and women that are thinking about joining this law enforcement profession what nuggets or words of wisdom can you give to them to help them get home at the end of their shift? I mean, if this is something that you always wanted, that this is something that you enjoy doing, just do it. Like, sign up. Go through it. It's going to be hell. It's, it's. I mean, there's days where it's like, oh, like, why am I doing this? But at the end of the day, I'm just like, you know, it's another day. To, like, a new day will start tomorrow. And, I mean, like, Right now, like, all the negativity and all that stuff, like, I don't let that affect me because I'm, like, that's not going to, like, affect who I am 
or my views towards law enforcement. Like, I know who I am and what I've always wanted to do. And it's important. I mean, if it's something that you've always wanted, you should just do it. And all the negative stuff, just leave it aside. Don't let that affect you, affect your your mentality and be like, why am I doing this? Like, don't. I've never second-guessed myself of why I went into this. And right now, I mean, the it's pretty tough to be in law enforcement right now. It is. But at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, like, hopefully this will pass. And if you enjoy doing something, like, why not? Do it with all your might. Yes. And to the families that send us out the door each and every day, what do you want to tell them? Well, I mean, I think they're a very important part of keeping us together. Because, um, you know, you have someone there. It's, it's tough. I think it's tough on the families and for us because it's like they're the ones going through it. Um, not having you home, being there by themselves, and especially on little kids. Like, it's it's tough, but I think your family should always come first. Like, your job is, like, your job is your job, but your family is always going to be there no matter what. Like, once you retire, whatever it is, like, your family is going to be there always for you. And, I mean, you just have to support, like, support them. Um, that way it makes it a little bit easier for them and for them to come home or if they want to go through this, like to help them in order for them to succeed. Well said. Claudia, we wish you a speedy recovery and we cannot wait to see you back in uniform and back on, out on patrol where you want to be. I want you to know that the entire Green family, the United States Border Patrol, is right there beside you and with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, uh, our brothers and sisters up there doing a, a very difficult job. Wish you all the best and a safe return each and every shift. Thanks for being here. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much. It was an honor for having me here, and thank you. And that's going to do it again, ladies and gentlemen, for another episode of What's Important.